1: It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am looking forward to talking with my guest today, Joining me is Kevin Davis. He's president of Topline Leadership and author of multiple books, including his latest, The Sales Manager's Guide to Greatness, 10 Essential Strategies for Leading Your Team to the Top. So, Kevin Davis, welcome to Accelerate. Well, thanks for having me, Andy. My pleasure. So, take a minute, introduce yourself. Uh, I know you're a big skier, but maybe tell us how you got your start in sales and how you ended up where you are today.
2: Well, my first uh, job out of college was Selling for Lanier, and uh, today Lanier is part of Ricoh Corporation. It's office technology products, but back then we called it copiers and dictation equipment.
1: <laughs> I remember.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
1: back when we sold those things.
2: And then uh, I moved up with them uh, first to sales manager, where I managed a team of eight salespeople, and then. Uh, was a general manager for Lanier in Southern California where I uh, managed sales managers. So I've had uh, experience at the two key transitions, the transition from selling into managing, which is probably the biggest transition in any profession. And then of course, the transition from managing salespeople to managing sales managers. So
1: well, uh, at, the, at the same time, lots of transitions in the the industry that you are serving as well. I mean, seem like, yeah, yes. I mean, uh, I mean, postage machines go away, and
2: the whole uh, you know, it's all about uh, connectivity, uh, facilities management. Um, you know, that's just you know, print management, you know, outsourcing. I mean, it's. Not the way it was when I started. So, uh, but isn't that true of just about every industry out there?
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you're not working in a company these days and you don't have the same parade of uh, young, Freshly scrubbed salespeople knocking on your door every minute trying to sell you a copy <laughs> machine or a postage machine <laughs> or a computer or something like that.
2: And that's how we did, you know, it was straight commission sales. Um, you would take the elevator to the top floor of an office building and you would walk into offices, ask to see the general manager or president, and without an appointment. And that's how it all started. And um, so,
1: well, interesting. Question. You know, you
2: hunt, you hunt to earn a living, and um, so it's a good, great, great place to
1: start for me. Well, I was going to say, it was an interesting perspective because I I was reading an article yesterday, and the author was talking about uh, cold emailing and cold calling as you know, prospecting strategies. And and it'd be interesting to get your take on this because what the author said is, well, you know, selling's not. Easy like it was 20, 30 years ago. You know, now it's hard. Cause you've, he's talking about prospecting, because yeah, you know, you've got these gatekeepers and voicemail. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, guys like you and I certainly me at the same time when I got started in my career uh selling a similar product, to what yours is, is yeah, we were knocking on 40, 50, 60 doors, actual doors mm-hmm. a day, where there is a physical gatekeeper <laughs> inside that door. Yeah, I don't think it was easier by any stretch of the imagination.
2: I got to tell you this one, Andy. <laughs> I, I was uh, one of the cold calls I made, and you know, we were trained to just walk in and ask for the, you know, the person whose name's on the door, right? So I get back from training, and my first territory was Palo Alto and Stanford. Mm-hmm. And I took the elevator to the top floor of the unit. Five twenty-five University Avenue building, which o- I know you know where that is. Right, the only
1: high rise <laughs> at that I, time. <laughs>
2: correct, and and the elevator doors open up, and I'm just doing what they t- trained me on my initial sales training program. I notice it's uh, one of the Big Eight accounting firms. That's what they were at the time, eight of them. So, so I walk up to the receptionist and say, "I'm here to see Arthur Anderson." <laughs> <laughs> She says
1: he's dead. <laughs> that was like my first morning in sales. Well, for people listening to this that don't reason, don't understand why we're laughing, is is at the time Arthur Anderson was one of the Big Eight accounting firms, and that was the name of the Big Eight accounting firm. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like yeah, walking in asking, can I talk to Mister Ernst or Mister Young? Right? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> and Mister Ernst or Mister Young or or. But uh, you know, that's kind of the first impression I got was, hey, maybe customers sometimes don't do what you want them to do. Like uh, they trained us, they probably would in sales training.
1: Well, so. I, yeah, but I was thinking back to kind of the comment guys saying it. So, you know, it seemed it was so easy back in the day, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, I I had guys that were I, my first territory where I first managed was in the East Bay area of. You know, the San Francisco Bay Area. So we went yeah. from Fremont to Vallejo out to, you know, Pittsburgh and Antioch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had salespeople work for me that were held up at gunpoint <laughs> and were shot at. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that. I think that was a little bit harder than uh, making a phone call, <laughs> a cold call on the phone.
2: Well, <laughs> that's where we, <laughs> I was the sales manager in that same East Bay Area. And, uh, one of my sales reps' cars got broken into and all the equipment was stolen. Well, they couldn't fence it. The thief couldn't fence it. So, I'm in the office one day and I get a call from this guy asking me if I want to buy my, our equipment. Back. <laughs> I said, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Right. So I said, uh, well, hang on a second. I got to check with my boss, but let me get your phone number and call you back. So so I got his phone number. I called the Oakland Police Department. I said, here's what's going on. And they said, "Okay." Uh, So and they called the guy back posing as my boss. And set up a sting operation, and they busted the guy. I had to go in the police car, and they had like three cops converging on this. I mean, you know, that was back when uh, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars worth of equipment was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hey, that was. Uh, needless to
1: say, I I I feel your pain there, Andy. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's. Uh... You know both jobs are hard, but uh, I didn't yeah I was just thought <laughs> interesting since you and I are talking is like le- let's dispel that myth that uh somehow it was easier when you had to make those calls in person yeah. so um so you've written a, a new book I mean you've written several books but you're written a new book called the Sales manager's Guide to greatness so we talked about ten essential strategies for leading your team to the top what was the impetus for writing this book because you know there's been really within the last nine months twelve months there's really been an influx of new books written about sales management. It seems to be sort of the, I don't want to say the topic du jour, but one that's getting a lot of focus.
2: Yeah, well, um, I, this is an area of specialization that I've had for the last 20 years. And so I've had the opportunity to to work with a variety of different corporate clients delivering our two-day sales management skills workshop. One of our clients, Believed in it so strongly that they had over three thousand sales managers attend our two-day program. So that's a being in a variety of different uh, you know venues with groups of anywhere from ten to twenty-five sales managers for a couple days over fifteen or twenty years. I just I learned a lot from the audience along the way and examples and stories and things of that nature that, you know, you have to tell these days in order to, you know, provide value to busy sales managers. I mean, companies, if they're going to take their sales managers out of the field for a couple of days, they're, they don't want to do it unless what, what they're Going to get is something that's proven and works. So, but it seems like one so. Of the... I think we have something that's proven and works for sales managers, and I just finally got around to writing a book about it.
1: Well, it seems like one of the themes that comes up in a lot of the books that have been published in the last year about this, and I've interviewed a number of the authors, is that, yeah, you know, sales managers' job has become increasingly difficult given, you know, the. Technology is available, the data, there's so many demands on them other than managing and coaching their teams. And that sort of seems like be the sort of like a first order issue that a lot of the books try to address is yeah, you know, how do we how do we help sales managers focus and make the best use of their time?
2: Certainly, uh, it's extremely important for sales managers to take a step back. And rethink their priorities, um,
1: but do they have control over their
2: priorities? Um, they have more control than I think they think they do.
1: Um, because, because I mean, because this is one of the again one of the themes that is that um, you know people are talking about is that well, yeah, senior management is saying putting so many requirements, you know, reporting requirements, and so on on frontline sales managers that that's what becomes the big distraction, and that these managers feel like they have to prioritize you know paying attention to what the bosses say versus what they think they should be doing for their team well
2: and i don't certainly one aspect of of sales management productivity that many companies would benefit from would be looking at the you know the time wasters that they inflict on sales managers for sure but another part of the problem are our sales managers, they accept too many meeting invites, sometimes make their calendars available. So, you know, all the other departments in a company always want to get sales as input on everything. And the sales manager is the one that gets dragged into that. And uh, I mean, you know, it's just the question is, you have to take a step back and ask yourself as a sales team leader, how are you going to be measured and what really matters and what should you stop doing because you know having a to-do list is important but what's on your to-don't list what are the things that you need to stop doing and accepting all these meetings i mean the average sales manager who spends two hours a day in email that adds up to over 60 days a year on email if there are ways in which we can manage that time loss a little better perhaps reduce that from 60 days down to 40 days that gives you an extra 20 days of coaching every year i mean the the the, the research on sales coaching is is pretty compelling the sales management association 2015 research found that companies that have Optimized a coaching program for both quality and quantity of coaching. See a seventeen percent increase in revenues. And according to CSO Insights, just part of MHI Global, mm-hmm. um, sales uh, you know sales coaching, good a good sales coaching commitment and implementation will, will result in increased win rates for salespeople. So. So the question is, as a sales manager, what's the best use of your time? I mean, that, that's the leadership question that everybody asks or should ask and that is, am I going to continue to make everybody else happy and respond to people's emails within 20 minutes of them sending it to me and continue to you know, play this reactive game Or am I going to focus my time and attention on increasing win rates and increasing the expertise of our salespeople? I mean, what do you want to be remembered for?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Because I think that at the top, but I think that... that (laughs) And I advocate this for sales managers, and and I I found myself in this position when I was managing teams, and I had to do this. Is you have to to a certain degree, you have to exercise sort of a form of passive resistance to some of the demands on your time from people above you. Yeah, and I remember, I, mean, I recall a situation where I, one company I was working for, I you know there was a completely useless monthly meeting that, in my case, actually was on the other side of the country, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I, that I was supposed to attend. And what I did is just made my schedule such that you know every month at that time I was out with a customer. <laughs> and after about ten months, you know the CEO, you know, calls me and said, "So you know we haven't seen you at this meeting." I said, "Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm out talking to customers." And you know, my numbers were great numbers, and team was doing fantastic. But the guy was really frustrated that I was was not attending his meeting. But yeah, you know, on the other hand. He sort of understood that, yeah, I was making that call. Yep. So, I mean, managers, I think you have to sort of have some for, you know, intestinal fortitude and push back. Because if you don't push back, people are going to continue to demand more of your time.
2: So, just last week, I was working with a group of sales managers in Toronto and they had flown in for a meeting plus my workshop from all over North America. And you know, one of the first modules we talk about is this whole issue of of leading yourself, making choices yourself, that, uh, you know, focusing on what, you know, you really, you know, swinging the pendulum back towards more observational sales coaching. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, how do you do that? How do you buy time to make that happen? And uh, certainly one of the ways is, is, is repurposing The conversations you're having now. We can get into that topic a little later, but let me let me finish my thought. And is that as our two-day workshop progressed, on day two, several of the sales managers commented, it's like, wow, you know, my salespeople are doing so much more now that I'm gone, and they're actually applying some of the techniques that we were talking about during the first day in their you know, taking breaks and responding on their iPhones and things of that nature to their salespeople, and their salespeople were solving a lot of these problems themselves. So there's this, there's this core sense that many sales managers have kind of evolved into a habitual path or process of, I am responsible for solving everybody's problems. Well,
1: this <laughs> it's is you know this is I was just at a workshop yesterday talking about. Uh... Uh, one of the topics is about you know managing different multi generations in the workforce. Yeah. And um, you know what you're describing is like sort of a helicopter parent, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know the helicopter parent. Helicopters in to solve the problems for for uh, you know for the kids and and yeah, there's a lot being written that that's you know that's not necessarily working out well for the kids or so the subject of that. So because they don't learn how to solve their own problems. So
2: when somebody brings you a problem, I encourage sales managers to ask two magic questions. What have you done about it so far? And what do you think you ought to do? And at the very least, that gives the manager an opportunity to observe the knowledge and expertise of the salesperson bringing the problem and whether or not that sales rep is capable of solving it themselves or not, but uh, you know, so there are a variety of different techniques that aren't terribly difficult. But it is, it is certainly about asking yourself on a continual basis what is the impact on my sales team of what I am about to do
1: which and, which I sorry it's just uh, to me that's you know, such a great thing for people to thinking about because certainly in line with what I talk about sales in general is is we're not robots we're not operating on autopilot everything we do has to be deliberately done has to be done for a reason absolutely whether you're a manager or a sales rep you know why why am I calling this customer <laughs> I was just talking about this at a speech I gave yesterday is mm-hmm. you know what's the plan
2: But what happens is that many sales managers kind of have this thought that if I solve this problem for this sales rep, he or she will go make more sales calls. (laughs) And so there's this self-propaganda mindset where Mm -hmm. and, and the outcome of that when you turn it into a habit is if you solve other people's problems for them, they'll bring you more problems, and it's a vicious cycle. You're chasing your own tail, without uh, ever catching it. And the net impact of that is that, I mean, let's say somebody brings you a problem, right? And uh, uh, and usually what they say is, uh, "Hey, Andy." <clears throat> We have a problem, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> Notice they're used the pronoun "we," and because uh, you don't have the information because to because they're team players, correct? And because you don't have the information, you know you're anxious. You want to pull the trigger. You're an action-oriented manager. You 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 crave the speed. You love to kind of make important decisions and the, on the fly. And uh, so, because you don't have the information that you need to solve this rep's problem, you say. Uh, Let me look into it, and I'll get back to you. And in the blink of an eye, two things that are typically associated with a subordinate in a relationship have just occurred. Number one, you accepted a delegation from your sales rep, and number two, you agreed to provide them with a progress report. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it that way, right? (laughs) So, so again, a lot, you know, effective sales management starts with self leadership. It begins with accepting that you that that some things you do have higher payoff than other things and that you will be a more effective leader if you apply yourself to the more high value, high payoff sales management tasks and it's just that's one of the issues. And of course the other issue is when you delve into the reason why why we get involved in these problems, why we solve reps' problems, why we do this, why we do that, why we spend sometimes 8.30 to 5 doing tasks that are on other people's job descriptions and not ours. The reason is because of our instincts. I mean, the underlying cause is that when we were peak performing salespeople, we developed, honed, and were rewarded for certain sales competencies that distinguished us from everybody else. And that's why we got promoted. But an effective sales manager, in some ways, requires a completely different mindset. And so these sales instincts that that contributed to our success in the past hamper our effectiveness as leaders. And one of them is this you know focus on results, this bias towards action, mm-hmm. decisiveness, uh, you know, where where it's 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 we like to be the, the 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 caller of the plays. We like to kind of be in control and take charge. And one of the ways you see this in when you're out with one of your salespeople is when the customer is talking, your salesperson is talking to the customer and you don't like what's being said. And so you do what I call move over, rover, let the great one take over. (laughs) (laughs) And you kind of take over the meeting and run it your way. But that sends a message to the customer that your sales rep is unqualified, right. and it sent, and it sends a message to your sales rep that you don't trust them, and and you destroy any coaching opportunity. So this is just one of the examples. You know, a much more effective leadership characteristic is observation and uh, just watching your people. So it's this bias for action. Uh, and, And it's not just taking over the call. That's one of the examples. The other is taking over the problems. I mean, it's taken over. We're kind of control freaks, but we have to manage that because if you don't, then at the end of the quarter you have to look back and ask yourself, is your sales team better today than they were three months ago? And if they're not, then you didn't do your job.
1: Well, yeah, possibly because you're doing their jobs, right? <laughs> I mean, if yeah, if you do the 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 tactic that you talked about, where you and I've seen this on numerous occasions, where the impatient sales manager jumps in, you know, does the move over rover things you talked about. Well, yeah, customers never going to talk to that sales rep again, not in a meaningful way, because they're going to wait for the sales manager to come back.
2: Well, and they're going to contact the sales manager because yeah. that's where the authority is, and that's where they get bigger discounts. Well,
1: well there's, that, there's that too. Yeah, but don't get me started on that because <laughs> I've, I've, but, I've, I've written whole articles. You know, somebody once asked me or sort of posed this question about you know how do you stop salespeople from discounting? I'm saying yeah, salespeople don't discount; managers discount. <laughs> so, um, well, that, what we know I, about that kind of
2: on that other topic is that the most successful people have the greatest difficulty giving up the things that made them successful to begin with. And so as a sales manager, we keep selling and we keep engaging in these, in these selling competencies that we are excellent at. And yet we've got to completely change our
1: mindset yeah
2: because, I,
1: anyway. well, I was gonna say I think one of the the uh, watchwords that a manager gave me early on in my first management job worked for a guy who was really smart, and yeah you know, he said your your job is to be in control but not obvious control. yeah, that's good. and I always thought that was that was a really great way to think about it, yeah, you know as you're leading a team. You know, everybody needs to know who the boss is, you know, because that's where ultimate responsibility flows. But, but people need to feel enabled and empowered to do what they need to do. Absolutely, that's a source of
2: motivation. And, yeah. needless to say, a motivated sales team is better than one that's not.
1: Well, in your book, you talk about motivation. I talk about a great segue. Is is uh, you know, I think you make the point in there that may perhaps as high as, I think, use the term 75% of performance issues on a team are due to bad attitudes or willingness problems, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to so really attitudinal versus skill deficiencies, I guess, is really what you're boiling down to.
2: Uh, exactly. And,
1: and, and so why do you think that's the case?
2: Um, well, you mean why why do do we, we have more attitude problems these days? Well, no. First of all,
1: yeah, how, do you, how did you arrive at the conclusion that's more attitudinal versus a deficiency in skill or behaviors, let's say?
2: Well, I, on Tuesday of this week, I uh, did a webinar where we had 135 sales managers on the one-hour webinar. And we had a poll question, and that was a poll question. And I did another one back in, in, uh, uh, in May, with uh, 160 sales managers. So that's what they said. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, uh, so, so attitude is part of it, but the conversation, when you have a sales rep that has a bad attitude, I mean, there's two issues here. One is, why is this attitude problem happening. So I would suggest sales managers to when they're thinking about a sales rep that's underperforming or one that has been good in the past, but isn't good now, or has productivity has fallen off is to analyze each sales performance problem you encounter by looking at two through two different lenses, skill and will. Uh, And
1: So will, will defined as?
2: Will defined as attitude, commitment, um, engagement, coachability. Okay. Um, that's one of the exercises we work on with sales managers is to think about your peak performing salesperson, that best sales rep who's on your team right now. What are the qualities that he or she possesses? And invariably, 70% of those qualities that sales managers articulate are attitudinal qualities. And and yet, this is kind of one of those uh, those truths that every sales manager can agree to. But if you ask a sales manager what does a great what is a great attitude in a sales rep, they will probably answer, "I can't tell you. I just know it when I see it." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like the Supreme Court decision on pornography, right? I right. don't know what it is, but I uh, can't define it, but I know what it is when I see it. Yeah.
2: Correct. And so then what are they doing? They're trying to, um, so we help them to define it in such a way that they can share it and set it as a standard, um, set greatness as a standard and define it and just take, take, take one, uh, one attribute of, 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 a great attitude that comes up frequently
1: Coachability. Well, oh, glad you said. That. I was going to say that. To me, that would be that's first on the list. It, you know, it's it is. I I agree.
2: What? It, so you have to ask yourself, what is it? So, so back. Do you remember uh, Andy the uh, the NCAA championship basketball game between uh, Villanova Wildcats and uh, University of North Carolina back in April?
1: Oh, this past one.
2: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where the, the Villanova won it at the buzzer with an incredible three-point shot, the mm-hmm. national championship. Right. And, and the reason they won it was excellent teamwork. You know, distributing ball, ball the ball movement, on right? that final time yep. down the court. And so I thought, wow, I got to learn a little bit more about uh, Coach Jay Wright, who's the head coach of the Villanova Wildcats. And so I did, and I read up on him a little bit, and wrote an article on it. Um, and according to Coach Wright, he looks for players, recruits, to his program that have the twin qualities of humble and hungry. And obviously the hunger, we all get that, you know, the desire to be having do do more, the you know, ambition. right? Sure. But, but the humility, Coach Wright said, if if a recruit does not have humility, he won't be coachable, because they already know it all. Yeah. So, I thought that was kind of, uh, that's that was a keeper right there. Uh, you know, oh, I mean, absolutely. we don't typically think of looking for humility in an in interview process with salespeople, and yet, according to Coach Jay Wright of the NCAA champion Villanova Wildcats, that's what you need for coachability.
1: Well, and to give an example, I made germane, more germane to what some of the people listening to the show made here is, is uh, I've had as a guest on the show a couple occasions, uh, Mark Robert, who was the first VP of sales at HubSpot and you know, they've right. been wildly successful. But in their interview process for salespeople, in specific, they may do it for other functions as well, is they integrate coaching into it. So what they do is they have somebody give like a little presentation. And then they sit them down and they coach them, and they have them go off for a few minutes and then come back and give it again, mm-hmm. and they see whether they took the coaching, right? And I think that's yeah, sort of a simple, brilliant way to see whether they you know, exemplify this humility as you talked about to be able to you know <laughs> say yeah, it's not about me, it's about getting better, and you know take the advice and and integrate it into what they're doing.
2: Yep, and that's a great. Uh, uh, Mark's book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, is a great read. Yeah, and I uh, I agree with uh, with him wholeheartedly on that one.
1: So I, another question I one, the topic I topic want to get into is is you know we talked about coaching. I just want to jump back to that second because you have an interesting thing in your book too about we um, I mean, said be more strategic about your coaching time, and you reference a Harvard Business Review study that said that uh, I think I'm quoting it here and in research involving thousands of reps. The found that coaching, even world class coaching, has a marginal impact on either the weakest or the strongest performers in a sales organization. So, in your book, you're talking about you know being strategic about your coaching time. What what are you advocating people do? Well, there are two,
2: and again, this this this
1: two ways
2: or instincts that many sales managers have that are counterproductive to. you know, developing sales developing an elite sales team. One is they tend to chase the big deals. Right. And invariably that leads them to work with their best salespeople who are working the biggest deals, who actually need them the least. Because they typically have the best attitudes, not always, but often, and they're the most skilled on the team. So the other instinct, which is counterproductive to developing an elite team, is a tendency to work with the poorest performers. Um, But as a friend of mine once told me, uh, miracle turnarounds happen mainly in Hollywood movies. (laughs) If you you know and and the reason why we spend a lot of time working with the bottom third is we don't want to give up right I talk in my book about Willie Selmore right the, yeah
1: the sales rep <laughs> actually it's funny when you wrote when you wrote that and I was reading it uh, yeah I knew it was probably a name you had made up but actually I had to, you'd read it all so well I had to go back and check just to make sure <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Willie Selmore is a is an unproductive rep but every time I interacted with him and I use him as an example in my book I, I had this question in my mind: Will he sell more? So obviously, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, the, the the key is to focus on your on your B players. Uh, they have the typically have the greatest level of coachability, uh, most receptive to your coaching, willing to implement it the fastest, and. A great, uh, the largest gap between skills and uh, with they have room for a lot of room for improvement and they can make those changes fast. The best sales teams I've ever had the privilege of leading had competition at the top, and the salespeople weren't competing with quota, they were competing with each other. Mm -hmm. And if you can take a B player and make him or her an A player and give other A players some competition. Then you've just implemented what I call the bell cow strategy, where, you know, uh, out on the ranch, uh, the bell cow is the one that all the other ones follow behind. (laughs) And uh, so, uh, you know, who is your bell cow on your team? What example sales rep do others on the team look up to? And, if it happens to be somebody who's infected with, as Zig Ziglar used to say, stinking thinking, then you're in a world of hurt. And that's a problem that you need to address sooner rather than later. And so every time I bring up this bell cow strategy in my workshops, of course, the the managers say, hey, what about cowbell? Do we need more cowbell? (laughs) So I wrote an article on uh, the Saturday Night (laughs) Live
1: skit. You remember (laughs) that one? Oh, my favorite of all time.
2: (laughs) Uh, trying to draw the uh, sales management principles out of uh, you know, uh, more cowbell with Will Ferrell and and uh, oh geez, what was his Chris, name? Christopher Walken.
1: Yes, thank you. It's a great song. I think it just needs more cowbell. <laughs> yeah, and of course Jimmy Fallon's in the background Oh, there. just dying, yeah. Jimmy Fallon <laughs> can't keep a straight face during the entire skit. So, so.
2: so whether you remember bell cow or cowbell, every sales team needs more,
1: right? More cowbell, you, I like that. You need more leaders. I like it. And so, Kevin, we're in the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And in the first one, this is probably dead simple for you, but the first one is a hypothetical scenario where you've just been hired as a VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. CEO is anxious to hit the reset button, get things back on track as quickly as possible. So, your first week on the job, what two things could you do that could have the biggest impact
2: I would suggest do nothing. (laughs) You've got to figure out what the problem is and observe, Mm -hmm. put yourself in a situation to observe uh, the salespeople and how they interact with customers. And this isn't just the parachute type of meeting. It's go out and spend a full day with each of your salespeople maybe sometimes do uh something where they're they're not expecting you to spend the day with them you're trying to find out what their work habits are and you want to figure out who's part of the solution and who isn't because if they're not i mean assuming you're brought in because there's a problem and they want you to fix it or they want me to fix it i got to figure out who's going to be part of this solution and uh and look at it from a skill and will perspective and assess the skill and and attitude of each of my people before rendering any opinions. I'm, um that's that's the first step is mm-hmm. to just figure out what the problem is. Okay. So that's in 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 some respects why you know you hear a lot of political leaders say, well, here's what I'm gonna do the first hundred days and Well, I suppose, but you got to get closer to your sales team and apply a prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Right. So you got to diagnose it and you can't diagnose it by not getting close to the problem.
1: Okay. All right. Good answer. So, uh, some rapid-fire questions for you then. just You can give me one-word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. So, when you, Kevin Davis, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, hmm. Great
2: question. Um, I think uh, track record, the fact that Mm -hmm. I've walked in their shoes and have faced the problems and challenges that they have, plus have uh, had the opportunity to to work with sales managers in a in a workshop format. I mean, if you listen, sales managers have a, a lot of great things to say, and I'm delighted that many of them are listening to us today, Andy, but it's just every workshop I deliver, I keep a, a yellow pad sitting in the front, and you hear a lot of good stuff come back. And so I think that's, it's maybe it's a little thing, but it's what I try to put in my book, which is perhaps more relevant than one might get elsewhere.
1: Okay. Who's your sales role model?
2: My sales role model would be well. I would have to tip my cap to Neil Rackham mm-hmm. as being the thought leader in transitioning the you know sales world from from transactional to strategic and backing it up with with research.
1: Okay. Uh, other than any of your own book, which one book would you recommend every salesperson read?
2: <laughs> every salesperson read. Oh well, um, you know certainly the, the, the you have to look at every book at in terms of what it is you want to get out of it. I mean, I I think my. My book, Slow Down, Sell Faster, is obviously self, uh, self-promoting here, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, well. I said other than your own. <laughs> okay, other than my own. Um, well, certainly, I've read the, the Challenger sale recently. Um, um, my area of, well, besides that, uh, um, sales... New Sales Simplified. Mm -hmm. Mike Weinberg? Yeah, is a a very good book. Okay. Um, And on the management side of the equation, certainly uh, Robert's book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, uh, has some great stuff in there. And what I try to do is read outside of the sales field, or at least make sure that. A lot of the books I'm reading are from people that are outside. And so there's a great book called Eight Moments of Power in Coaching. All right. By Mark Colgate. All right, that's and a good one.
1: We'll put that on the list. That's a new one. Yeah.
2: It's uh, it's really good because he's got a lot of mentions and references a lot of the research on coaching. So again, that's
1: I like it. Good suggestion. Yeah. All right. So, last question for you. It's it's sometimes a difficult question. It is what music is on your playlist right now? Right now, Van Morrison, Keep Me Singing. Oh, yeah. I love Van Morrison's greatest hits. Great album.
2: Oh, well, yeah, that's true. But Keep Me Singing is a new album that he released just in September.
1: Oh, I'll have to check that out. How about that? That's new on me. That's on my list. Here we go. new Van Morrison. I love Van Morrison. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, Kevin, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Uh, KevinFDavis.com
2: is uh, my personal website. And then TopLineLeadership.com is our company site. Um, certainly uh and Either check, of those is a great way to uh, contact me. but uh,
1: And check on Amazon for your brand new Check book.
2: on Amazon, yep, and we'll, you know... Sales
1: Manager's Guide uh, to Greatness.
2: Uh, yeah, the Sales Manager's Guide to Greatness, 10 Essential Strategies for Leading Your Team to the Top.
1: Excellent. Well, good. Well, Kevin, thanks for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending time with us today. And remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that, take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, accelerate, and that way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Kevin Davis, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at AndyPaul.com.
0: Hey, sales strategists! At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations. And after calls, we generate ready to send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at revenue.io